you would take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, a lot of times we, we see problems and we, we try to diagnose those problems. And if you're like me, uh, you're somebody that likes to uh, see the issue and uh, figure out what the problem is and, and get it fixed. And, and sometimes we as people make it harder than it needs to, needs to be. We look at society and we say, man, what is the problem with our society today? And uh, is it the Republicans? Is it the Democrats? Is it the debt, the national debt that we have as a country? Is it uh, the wars? Is it, what, what, what is the, the issue? And, and really, it's not that difficult to figure out what the problems in our world are. And it starts with, with sin and the issue of sin and sinful people, and, and that is really the, the foundational issue. And, and so we say that we want to fix the problem, but listen, we don't want to deal with, with the true issue, the issue of, of sin. And, and that's why I'm so glad that we get to partner with missionaries like the Justicens that are taking the gospel around the world, because the greatest issue in Togo, Togo is the same as the greatest issue here in Anderson. And it's the need for people to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and to have their sins forgiven and, and be a part of the, the family of God and then to serve Him uh, with, with their life. But even let's bringing this home to our own life, we, we, we look at our, our situations and we see our trials and our difficulties and our battles and, and, and what's our biggest problem? What's the, what's the issue? And, and so often we, we look at our issues and we say, well, if I just had a different job, and maybe if I made a little more money, then, then my life would be better, my life would be different. And I, and I want to be honest with you right now. Uh, if, if you can't live where you are now financially, I can give you all the money in the world and you're not going to learn to live. All right? Uh, we as people tend to uh, kind of just be exorbitant and just kind of go overboard when, with those type of things. And, and and that's a whole other sermon about being a good steward and learning, learning to live within your means and all that type of stuff. But sometimes we think money is the issue. Sometimes, uh, unfortunately, in our world today, we think uh, it's our spouse is the issue. And why do we see the divorce rate going uh, so uh, crazy in our world today? Because people believe that the issue is their spouse. And, and, and they look around and say, well, if I had somebody different and somebody, uh, uh, God forbid, even better than the spouse that I have, then maybe my life would be better and maybe my life would be different. And my children, they're, they're not behaving, and, and how do I get this fixed? And let's take them to a counselor. And, and I'm not saying that there's not time for those sort of things, and, and I don't want to belittle those type of things. And I understand there's medical issues, but sometimes, and probably most of the time, we're not willing to come to the place where we deal with the main issue. And so the question that I have before you is, why do so many Christians have such a weak Christian life? Why are so many believers weak in the faith? Why are so many tossed to and fro? Now, understandably so, we understand that everybody that comes to the church is not a believer. Not everybody that attends a service like this, uh, and I'm not going to just assume that everybody that's here today knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, and that's a whole other issue that we have to get taken care of, and, and I'll deal with that a little bit in our sermon today. But for those of us that are believers, why do we see the, the church watered down? Why do we see so many believers in our day today that are, that are weak in their faith? Why do we see so many believers that 
that, that gossip and backbite, so many that are worldly and so many that, are, that, 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 that don't see the priority of the church and, and studying the Bible and knowing the scriptures and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in their faith. Why do we see so many that, that were in the church at one time serving and faithfully and now they no longer go to church, they no longer serve the Lord? Why do we see this over and over and over again? I, I believe it's the same issue that, that Epaphras was dealing with as he, as he leaves there at the church at Colossae and he travels to see the Apostle Paul and he tells Paul, listen, we have some issues going on in the church. There's false teachers coming in and, and there's, there's people pulling these believers in different directions and they're, they're trying to teach them some false teachings and they're hindering their faith and, and, and they're struggling there in the church and, and I just need some help dealing with these issues and he begins to lay this out. And Paul begins to write to this church. In the last few weeks, we've seen the introduction to the book of Colossians, and, and he says, first of all, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that you'd be strong in the Lord. I'm praying that you would grow and, and that you'd be thankful and you'd understand your position in Christ. And, and he comes now to these verses that we're going to look at in verses 13 through 20. And right in the midst of this, he tells them what I believe is probably the greatest issue that many believers today have, excuse me, in their life and why they're struggling, why they're struggling spiritually primarily. Because Jesus is not first in their life. Paul tells them in verse number 13, if you would, who hath delivered, speaking of Jesus, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us, uh, excuse me, speaking of God, and hath delivered us, excuse me, from the power of darkness and hath translated us into his kingdom of his dear son, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, Notice this, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word preeminence means he's first. He has first place in your life. Not just on Sunday morning we make him a priority. Not just on Wednesday nights. And, but it, he is first place in every aspect of your life. The truth is you could go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and not be a thriving Christian and be a weak Christian because Jesus Christ is not the first place in, in first place in your life. You can go through all the religious activity and sing all the songs and still be a weak, just flailing Christian because Jesus Christ is not first in your life. We have teenagers here today and there's some boy or some girl, there's some sport there's some activity in your life that is priority for you in your life. You spend countless hours in that area of your life and very little time in your relationship with Jesus Christ and, and glorifying and honoring him. 
There's some adults in here today. Your career is a primary in your life. Your family is the primary aspect of your life. And listen, you should be a, a good worker and provide for your family, and you should be a good mother and, and a good father, and, and, and you should be a good child, and you should do all those things, and we understand that, but that's not first place in your life. And if that's the first place in your life, I guarantee you you're a weak Christian, and you're struggling in your faith, and, and you're, not, you're not growing. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know some people that are weaker than me. I, I, know, I, I know some Christians that are struggling more than I am, so, so I'm okay. And, and, and your problem is right there is, is your position and, and your comfort level is the priority, not Jesus Christ. Because what I would do is I'm not looking around. I'm not looking at Shane Reasoner up here and saying, hey, listen, I need to be like him or, or I'm better than he is or I need to get to where he is. I'm not looking at his life because his life's not the standard. Jesus Christ is first in my life. And that's where the struggle is, is we look at other Christians and we say, wow, look what I'm doing. We look at people in the world. I, I think lost people do this. Well, I go to church and so I must be okay. There's other people that claim to be Christians and they don't go to church. Listen, you can go to church and be lost and, and die in your sins and go to hell. And Christians, they come to church and, and we look around and say, wow, man, I'm doing more than they are and, and, and I'm more active and I'm more involved. And, and yet it's all about the activity instead of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul doesn't start to write to the church and say, hey, listen, run away from that false teaching. Hey, stop doing the things you're doing or, or go to church more or sing more hymns or, or, or read your Bible more. What does he say? Make Jesus Christ first in your life. Jesus Christ deserves to be first place in your life. And if he's not, then listen, you're going to be a weak Christian. That is the reality. That's the reality of life. Hey, I can't go home and sit down and watch television and, and watch the Super Bowl today and think, hey, I'm going to be a great football player. Hey, listen, nobody's given me a million-dollar contract to go home and watch uh, the guys play football. It doesn't work like that. I have to get out there and do the effort and energy, and, and we watch those guys, and, and listen, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I judge them for the salaries that they make and how obnoxious it is and all that type of stuff, but you know what I don't know is the countless hours they put into that sport. They are where they are because they made that a, a priority. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they made that a priority in their life. Yeah, they had talent, but they had to put the effort and energy to get to the level that they're at. They made that a priority in their life. And some of our biggest struggles is, is what we make as the priority. And what the church in Colossians needed to understand is that Jesus Christ, and what the church today needs to understand is that Jesus Christ must be first place in your life. And I believe Paul gives us three reasons, three reasons Jesus Christ should be first in your life. Father, thank you for your word, but most of all, thank you for Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. And what I do pray, if somebody is here today that has never accepted Christ as their savior, may today be that day in their life. But Lord, for those of us that are believers, Father, help us to understand Christ deserves to be first place in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I want you to see three things that Paul deals with in, the, in this text that we read today as to why Jesus Christ should be first place. Number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's who I'm talking to primarily today. Hey, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to get that settled in your heart and life today. You need to turn from your sin and by faith accept the free gift of salvation. And we'd love to talk with you about that. But primarily, the message is for believers today. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, number one, you have been taken from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his dear son. Christ is the king. That's why he should have first place in your, in your life. Hey, listen, everywhere we go, we see people that are, are rulers and authority and, and popular. Because of their position, we give them recognition. This week, we were in California and at this basketball tournament, and, and the, the college that we were at, Tuesday night, they had, a, they had a basketball game, and they were playing Lincoln University from Oakland, California, and... Um, and little before the game, we got a message from the, the school there that the, the coach of Lincoln University was Gary Payton. How many of you know who Gary Payton is? He was called the glove. Back in the day when Michael Jordan and all them played, he was called the, the glove. And so I said to the boys, hey, Gary Payton's the coach of the other team. And they looked at me like, who in the world is Gary Payton? I mean, they, they could care less who Gary Payton was. And so Mr. Tucker and I, we told them, we began to tell them, I mean, Gary Payton was the glove. He was one of the great defenders of, of, the, of the years gone by. And he played for the Seattle Supersonics. They didn't even know there was such a team back then. They've, they're so young. Um, but he played for the Seattle super science and they began to figure out who Gary Payton was so before the game they went over to the visiting locker room and and uh, waited for them to come out so they can meet Gary Payton they didn't know who this guy was but you know what they knew is he was an NBA superstar so that gave him position and so now we wanted to meet him. We wanted to know him. So they waited for him, and he talked to them and told them after the game that he would take pictures with them. And, and so during the game, the whole gym is cheering for the home team, except for our 14 boys. <laughs> our 14 boys were cheering for Lincoln University, and I'm like, I was... I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I'm sitting literally with the college president of this school, and my boys are cheering for the other team. They would dunk, they would score, our boys would go absolutely crazy. One of them, after the uh, halftime, it was a really close game, I think it was tied, and after the second half came out, Lincoln University got a run, and one of them yells out, great adjustments, Gary. We went from not knowing who he was, now we're on a first name basis with this guy. I mean, they're just cheering on. The other fans are looking at them, ready to just, I mean, destroy these boys and all that type of stuff. After the game, we all went over and we all went over. We got pictures with Gary Payton. We have team pictures, individual pictures. I, one of the boys took his shoe off and Gary Payton signed his shoe. He's walking around with one shoe because now he can't wear the shoe. I mean, it was, I mean, why? Why? Somebody they didn't even know. But he's an NBA player. Isn't it amazing how we glorify men? in our life. Hey, I was so excited for our boys this year to meet Gary. I was thrilled. My son and I, our team, we took pictures. With, I was thrilled to, to, to get to know him. Some of us are very flippant with who Jesus is, but if the mayor of our town walks in, we have a very respectful attitude, the president of the United States. And I'm not saying those people don't deserve for their position, 
But it is amazing how we glorify men based on their position, based on their wealth. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Paul says we're now in his, in his kingdom. Look with me there at verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, think about it, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, the people of England have great respect for the Queen of England. Why? Because of that position. She really has no authority in their governmental structure there, the way they operate. But they have such a, they respect and honor for this woman. They throw parades for her if she comes out. They, they, they honor the King of England and, and their position because of, because of who they are. And yet we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven... Do not put Jesus Christ in the same place. And so Paul tells them, listen, you are in his kingdom. He is the king, and he deserves that, that authority. Number two, not only is he the king, but he is the creator. Verse 15, if you look with me, who is the image of the invisible God? And I want you to notice the statements that Paul uses concerning Jesus Christ. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Do you get that? He's created everything, and yet we honor the creation more than we honor the creator. The one that created and gave life to Gary Payton, we honor him less than we do that person. He is the creator. Verse 17, and he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. Paul uses some very specific statements to refer to Christ here. He is the image of the invisible God. What he wants us to understand is that Jesus Christ is God that created the world. The word there used, icon, literally is something that we understand today because we use that word. It has the idea of image or likeness. And as we read through the scripture, the Bible tells us in John 1.18, no man has ever seen God but Jesus has declared him uh, to us, has made him manifest to us. In John chapter 14, Jesus himself said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says that he is the express image of his person. Paul himself tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that Jesus is the image of God. And in Jesus is the knowledge of of the glory of God. Over and over and over we understand from the scriptures that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus has come to reveal to us God himself. He also says here that he is not only here does he say that he is the image of the invisible God, but he's the firstborn of every creature. Now many have misinterpreted uh, this statement here used by Paul. They take it as, well, see, Jesus is created, and so cults and false teachings would come in and say, obviously, then here Paul is saying Jesus uh, is created, but the word here that Paul uses is a totally different, uh, a totally different meaning. But the, the word here carries with it the idea of rank, and it's a metaphor that Paul is using, and those in that day would know exactly what Paul was talking about. This is the same idea in Psalm 89 when the Bible talks about David being the firstborn. Well, there's a problem with that. 
when we think about creation. Because when, when Jesse was there and Samuel came to anoint the, the next king, Samuel came to Jesse and said, where's your oldest son? He's obvious, obviously going to be the next king. And, and when his oldest son comes, God says, that's not the one. And then he goes through the whole list and he gets through the seven and each one. And, and so Samuel says to Jesse, is there any others? And he said, well, it's just the youngest. And so he says, well, go get him. We're not going to eat. We're not going to do anything else until he comes. And, and, and David shows up, who is the youngest in chronology. And God says he's the one. And so and the psalmist refers to David as the firstborn. Why? It talks about position and rank. Jesus is, ranks over all. Why? Because he's the creator of all. Look at what he goes on uh, to say there in this passage. He, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created. So going all the way back to the book of Genesis, when you see in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, Jesus was a part of that creation there because he is before all things. All that is in this world he is, has created in verse 17 he has created all things. But notice here at the end of verse 16, not only did he make all things, but all things were made for him. All things were made for him. You see, everything in this world was made to glorify God and for his pleasure, the Bible tells us. As God created man, he created man to have fellowship with him and to glorify him. And when man fell, God sent forth the plan of redemption and, and Jesus came to die and, and be the payment for our sin. Why? So that we could have fellowship with him and glorify him. The, that which is sinful could be made righteous and holy again through Jesus Christ. Why? To glorify God because we have been made for him. He does not belong to us, but we belong to him. And he should have the first place in our life. And then there in verse number 17, he says, by him all things consist. This means that he holds it all together. Men for centuries have tried to figure out how the world works. How the world works. I remember when, when Caleb was born and um, and we were in the hospital and trying to figure out, um, you know, all of his difficulties and stuff like that. And, and um, we had no idea. And Caleb's been through several surgeries. And, and later on, we come to find out that he's missing part of a chromosome, chromosome 8P. In our body, we have two strands of chromosomes. He's missing, I think it's chromosome 8P on one strand. How many of you know what that chromosome does? Right? Nobody does. Nobody did. We're going to geneticists at Johns Hopkins University, and they have no idea what that chromosome does. And so for us, it's just a waiting game, and we see the effects of that one little chromosome. There's so much about the world and the universe and, and, and the human body that we don't know, but we do know that Jesus holds it all together. We don't know how gravity works and how different theories work, and Einstein is trying to figure out the world, and nobody can do it. But God tells us that by him, all things consist. All things work because Jesus created it. And he holds it together. Can I tell you this? You would not be here if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. He is the creator of this world. And he created man. And he has given you life. And simply being his creation 
means that you belong to him and he should have first place in your life. And so Paul says he should have the preeminence. Why? Because he is the, because he's the creator. So we're in his kingdom. He's our king. We are his creation. He's the creator. And then number two, number three, and, and maybe for us today in the church, I don't know if I can rank these in any order, but this might be the most important. It's because of our salvation. Because he has brought salvation to us Without Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are on your way to hell to be separated from God for all eternity and eternal torment in the, in the lake of fire. But notice what Paul says in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made Peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice in verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. How, how are we placed into the body of Christ? Well, we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are placed into the body of Christ which he says is, is the church. And he's the head of the body. Headship has the idea of, of authority. Headship also has the idea of direction. He tells the body uh, what to do, and he should be the one giving direction to the church. Headship also means relationship. Think about it. Without the head, the body does not live. Without the head, the body does not function. My head tells my hands to move and tells my feet to walk and tells my mouth what to say. Without the head, the body does not function. He also, the Bible tells us here in verse 18, is the firstborn. He's the firstborn from, from the dead. He went to the cross and gave his life for my sin. And he was placed in that tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. And because he is alive, I can be made alive in Christ. You see, without Christ going to the cross and shedding his blood and going to that grave and then rising again that third day, I would not have eternal life. I would not have forgiveness of sin. And then one of the greatest points in all of Scripture comes in, in verse number 20. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Why should Christ have preeminence in my life? Because he made peace through his blood. He made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things unto himself. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did man die spiritually and sin entered into the world, everything was messed up. Sin entered into the world and we began to see the effects of sin throughout history. Everything is messed up, the Bible tells us. But in Jesus Christ, everything is reconciled back to God. Do you know that you study scripture, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to come a time when this twisted, messed up world will be gone. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of the work that he did and everything is going to be reconciled back to him. In our world, we're looking for, for peace. 
You hear people talk about world peace and having peace in the home and peace in the world and peace at job, peace at school. We just need more peace in our world. Can I tell you today, you're never going to have true peace apart from Jesus Christ. But you'll never have peace with God without Jesus Christ. You think about it. Understand that reality for just a moment. In our sin, we were dead, separated from God, his enemy, going to hell. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. You see, the greatest asset that you have in life if you're a Christian is not your home. It's not your children. It's not your spouse. It's your relationship with God. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you today, what, what, what do you glorify in your life? What is the, what is the first place in your life? What, what is the priority in your life? Is it people? Is it material things? Is it the comforts of this world? Is it, listen, my, my, listen, pastor, my priority is just getting through the day right now. Hey, listen, if that's your priority, that's a problem. Our priority should be Jesus Christ. He should have first place in your life. And there's so many today that are weak Christians. Why? Because the priority is the religious activity that they do. The priority is, is the church. And, and the, listen, religious activity is not bad in itself. And the church, it should be a part of our life because of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, he's the head of the church. It, listen, it's not a church if he's not the head of the church. If he's not first place in the church, it's not a church. It's not his body. He's the head of the body. We're just going through the motions here if he's not primary, if he's not first place in our life. And there's so many Christians today that are weak, and the answer is not that difficult to figure it out. Look at your life and see where you're investing your time and, and what, you're, what, what you're making most important in your life. There's no Bible reading, there's no uh, praying, there's no working for God, there's no communing with him, there's no fellowship. It's just going through the motions. I got my eight to five, I gotta get home and spend my time with my family, I gotta watch my Super Bowl or whatever sport I wanna watch. I got I gotta all of these things. We, we have all these priorities. Oh, and hey, by the way, Sunday morning we'll tag Jesus on. Hey, listen, don't, be, don't expect to be strong in the Lord if that's your attitude about Jesus. The church had a lot of needs, and all of us as Christians have a lot of needs. But the first thing we have to get settled is Jesus has to be the priority. He has to have preeminence in our life. All the rest of it is futile if he's not preeminent, if he's not first place in our life. You know, sometimes we struggle when we get sick to go to the doctor we, we, don't, we don't really want to know. We don't really want to know, especially if we think we have to get a shot, we have to get surgery. We, we don't really want to know. And what happens? We get worse. The pain gets more. Because we don't want to deal with the issue. And there's many Christians today, we don't want to deal with the issue. In our home, my wife used to have a lot of sympathy for me when I was in, in pain. Notice I said used to. 
There was somewhere along the line she quit having sympathy for me, and I know exactly why. Because I didn't want to deal with the issue. I wanted the quick fix. Hey, I got a pain over here. Rub, rub my shoulder. Rub my back. And she'd say, you need to stretch three times a day, or else it's just going to keep happening that way. And you know what? The next day I'd be like, rub me. Did you stretch today? No. I just want you to rub my shoulder right there. That'll, that'll make me feel better. I didn't want to fix the issue. I just want to deal with the symptom. Many times in our spiritual life, we act exactly like that. We want to deal with the symptom instead of fixing the issue that Jesus Christ is not first place in our life. 